0: Hey everyone, you're now part of the B2B Power Hour and I'm your host, Nicholas Thicket. I'm Morgan Smith. We help sales professionals power
1: up their sales skills from first touch to revenue, one hour at a time.
0: Join us for weekly live shows and interviews with industry experts breaking down what works and what doesn't in the remote sales era. Now on to today's
1: episode. As Nick said at the top of the hour, this is a topic that we've sort of hinted at a lot, and we've also dropped some interesting nuggets from time to time, but we've never done like a full blown power hour on account based sales development on LinkedIn. And I'm thrilled uh, for today's topic, least of all because. More and more companies, we were just chatting yesterday about this, more and more companies are getting strategic about their outbound sales because for many software companies, they can do product-led growth or a product-led inbound motion. And that means that their outbound can be more strategic and it doesn't have to rely on campaign-based selling anymore. And that shift seems to be a macro shift in the industry right now. So today we are diving in deep on account-based sales using LinkedIn. And Nick,
0: where do you want to start? Before we dive right in, I want to give you the lay of the land. So how do I look at account-based sales development? Yeah. So what are the five categories I look at? I realized as we were actually writing the new guide that it was quite a bit simpler than... Sometimes you go and do it and you make you make it more complex in your head than it is than it needs to be. And I realized that it's just map out the earthquake which we'll dive into create a contact strategy based on that identify the easiest route into the account write your PR FAQ create lifeline content and hit the green button go
1: engage <laughs> engage I love that all right so so we got five things to cover today well i mean engage is sort of the the sixth one if anybody was counting but five Topics to dive into mapping out the earthquake. Let's start there. Nick, what the hell is the earthquake?
0: (laughs) So this actually comes back from when I was in investment banking and I was looking at a lot of the time, I wasn't allowed to talk about what I was doing. Because if I gave away too much information that I'd actually get in trouble because the company selling would be worthless or somebody would go and get their clients. And so I had to really think on both sides is what really makes this company valuable? Who drives the value? What workflow, what systems, how are they communicating? And you had to dissect the company to look at information flow. And also, who's getting the work done? So communication, get shit done. And so what I realized is it almost mimicked an earthquake. But the one thing I noticed that happened all too often is a lot of people would just bypass all of this and they'd go right up to the top. And what the problem is when you go and do that is you get stuck in the eye of the hurricane.
1: Oh God, we have like a total natural disaster
0: going on. We got an earthquake, we got a hurricane. Anyways. No tsunami, so we're good. <laughs> no tsunamis but, yet. <laughs> but what happens is the eye of the hurricane, that executive in their office, outside of their office can be complete chaos. Everything is blowing up in their face. But in their office, everything is fine because there's usually a tendency, especially in North American companies, to play the blame game. So there's actually no incentive to be honest with executives. And so the executives hear the sugar-coated version of reality. And so as they are going about business, working on their workflow, looking at their strategy in the future, they have no realization that their world is literally falling apart all around them. And so what do we have to do? Well, if you're a detective or a lawyer building a case, you can't just go in empty-handed. Or else you're going to get thrown out. And this is what happens all too often when you go and approach the eye of the hurricane, empty handed, you get thrown out and you burn that deal. So instead, what we do is we go and look at it like an earthquake. And so you look at that workflow you're trying to go and work on and it trickles out. So where is that impact felt? And Morgan actually did a really interesting way of breaking this down. Yeah. When Nick approached me with this
1: analogy, I was like, okay, first of all, brilliant. I know exactly what this means because really the center of the earthquake is the person who's impacted the most by the problem you seek to solve. Not necessarily the person who would buy the product. And honestly, it's probably somebody who uses a product if you're selling software or somebody who would use your service, but it's not necessarily the first suspect. It would be the who has, so the question for the epicenter of the earthquake is, who has the largest problem with the most frequent pain? So whenever you're selling something, who's the person who is losing their mind over the fact that they're having this problem? And it impacts every single day, or you know, it impacts the most frequently compared to anybody else in the company with any other job title. And chances are this person is a manager maybe, or a top performing rep or the person that somebody, you know, lower in the organization, it could just be, uh, you know, one of many accountants on the staff. If you're selling something into finance, it could be, you know, it's the person on their day to day. So that's the epicenter. That's ring one, ring two. Now think about, you know, in those famous disaster movies, you know, where they have the little ping and then there's the ripple, you know, <laughs> and it ripples out the little red rings that come out of it. So if that's the center. Then the layer outside of it is who is above and below them. Because the people who work for them suffer the consequences of that problem. And the people they report to, they probably don't see the problem day to day, but care about the results that that person in the epicenter is unable to deliver or is experiencing. So epicenter, who's above and below, then further out, and now we're starting to reach into the eye of the hurricane, who likely holds signing authority to solve this problem? Now it's possible you actually already found them in ring two, totally possible. But are there other stakeholders who will need to be involved in alleviating
0: this pain? I think Challenger pointed out that in most tech sales right now, because of risk aversion or risk management, there is an average of 13 to 22 buyers in tech. Other industries are different, but in tech, because so many different pieces of, like so many different workflows are affected by that one technology, There's 13 to 22 people that have a stake in that claim. We need to know who they are.
1: Exactly. And so then the final ring, if there's a fourth one, was like any other further executives will be impacted by the change. Other people on the buying committee. But what you're starting with is you're starting with the person who has the most frequent pain with the largest problem. Because then, as Nick said in our layout, once you've mapped this earthquake, you can start to create a contact strategy.
0: And you've got to think about this, like why this works is most people do it backwards. They go into the eye of the hurricane and it's it. But what we're doing is we're mapping out that account, the way that, that communication flows and the work is actually getting done and what workflow drives that impact, that success. And we'll get into later how you use that information. But without understanding that flow, there is no movement. Because all you're doing is picking five or ten people and just guessing and throwing darts at the wall, hoping that somebody's going to go and pick up and respond to an email or care. You're right. And I don't like scaling luck, so I'd rather go and do the work.
1: Well, and what's interesting, Nick, I don't mean to cut you off here, is that... Uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to interject before you dive in a little bit further. I always have something to say as the marketer. You know that. Uh <laughs> So the thing that I see happens often in account-based selling, and this is especially for sellers who have done campaign-based selling, where they're using sequencers and automation and thinking, is that sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes the job title or persona is different account by account. So it should not be taken As a given fact from God, that because you worked with a director of operations at this one company, that that director of operations at company number two is also going to be the person in the epicenter of the workflow. It is very possible that it's somebody beneath that director of operations in company two. Or it could be somebody who sits between operations and sales, or sits between finance and marketing. Or since we're doing account-based development instead of campaign-based development today, we have to really be focused on finding account by account, who is this person in the center of the earthquake? And it's not always the same persona.
0: Job descriptions are gold for this. I highly recommend job descriptions. And sometimes just seeking out the top performer in that workflow, the person that is Pareto's Law, who's the 20% that are getting 80% of the results? When you figure that out, that's when you get really strong champions. Now, when you think of creating a contact strategy, if you have these people, you've mapped out your earthquake, where are they? This is the hardest part where most people skip over because they just assume that they can just pick whatever channels work best for them. I like cold calling, so I'm just going to cold call. (laughs) And honestly, some industries, that is the best option, like construction manufacturing i still will default to cold calling because it works faster but this is where the hard work comes to see where can you show up in a way that is meaningful is it a digital community is it a social media is it a specific paid group is it a slack channel where is it you have to really look at where are they going for their industry information so that they're staying up to date with what's going on and then where they're going for their professional development that they're either going daily, if not at least weekly, because that is where the trust happens. Because what happens in most sales is when people feel like they're being sold, their defenses go up and they stop learning. They, they actually want to defend their point of view. When we enter in a place that they're open to learning, you are tagging into that trust by association in a place that they are open to hearing a different point of view. And it's like listening to a podcast, right? You listen, if you love our podcast and we bring on a great guest and that guest gives you a different point of view, you'll be more prone to listen to that advice than if they just said it alone where you've never heard of them. So good. And that is the hard work of mapping out that contact strategy so that you can actually prioritize the way to go and contact them. I will tell you... Mm -hmm. Most people default to just cold outreach. Cold Mm. outreach is okay, but it's the lowest form of trust. The second form is something where they've heard of you before, or like we were just saying, showing up in those digital communities where they're going there to learn. They're open. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, every experienced seller has been through this. The best way to get in the door is to get a referral or an introduction. Damn right. And this is why mapping the earthquake works so well because I can find that top performer in that workflow, get the real tea as you guys are saying in chat and I can go work with them to build that champion and they can refer me up when the time is right.
1: This is the underestimated thing and this is what, can I just bring up an objection we hear a lot, Nick? Sure. So, you know, obviously in, in our consulting practice we do
0: I take it back. No,
1: just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Rude. Um <laughs> No. So in our consulting practice, you know, one thing we hear from a lot of clients, particularly outside of software, which is most of our clients, they say, well, our audience isn't really on LinkedIn. And it's like, well, why does that matter? Right. Because everybody thinks that LinkedIn has to work in the same way that email and phone does, especially at an account based level. And that's simply not true. Think about the three tiers of trust that Nick just laid out. The lowest tier of trust is cold outreach. The second tier of trust is peer engagement. The highest tier of trust is an introduction or referral. So think about this. If you have an account and you pull up the account inside Sales Navigator and you look and then you do, um, you can either save that account or you could do a lead search inside Sales Navigator and filter by just that one company and then use LinkedIn spotlight features to find and filter your leads by people who have posted on LinkedIn in the last 30 days. Chances are, in our experience, a lot of the names that come up on that list are not in your earthquake. It is a very, very great day when You've mapped out your earthquake, and then you go inside Sales Navigator, and there's names that that cross between the earthquake and people who are, let's say, posting on LinkedIn. That is bananas, amazing. But usually that's not the case. But the, as Nick just said, what if instead of going cold to the person in the earthquake, you could earn an introduction or referral? Well, now we know that you know, these 12 people are active on LinkedIn at this account. And I know that I could talk to two or three of these people about a shared interest, something common, something that we could bond over, and then earn an introduction from the person who's active on LinkedIn to elsewhere inside the account. This is actually how we do a lot of our business, just to like peer behind the curtain here, because I I know, (laughs) don't spill all of our secrets. But the truth is, your direct ICP audience may not be on LinkedIn. Or they may only be lurkers, and that's a whole other thing, and we'll get to that. But when, you map it, when you're creating your contact strategy after you've mapped out your earthquake, some of that contact strategy is about earning an introduction or referral from active profiles who sit outside the earthquake on LinkedIn.
0: Amen. And here comes the part that often gets missed. Matching up the channel with the person. Yes. So the next part is identifying the easiest routes in. I'll tell you back in when I was selling to oil and gas and logistics and construction manufacturing, the smoke pit was one of the easiest ways to get in. I didn't smoke. (laughs) Right. But you could hang out there and hand out coffee and talk to people, get, do your recon. Half the time one of the managers would walk out and they would walk with you in. Yeah. I would love to go and introduce you to so-and-so because you did the work, but this is the same idea. It's just changed formats. So who's that low hanging fruit that you've stepped in their shoes before that you really understand the workflow that they've been in, the problems that may exist just to have a conversation first to test the waters and where are they the most accessible? Is it LinkedIn? Is it Slack? Do they go and subscribe to certain newsletters? Do they buy magazines? What is it that they do? Is it a podcast? And all we got to do is a quick Google search and you'll notice the more you work accounts, the more you'll see patterns with certain roles that it keeps showing up. So that's why you do it once and it's a very minor update to keep yourself updated on how this works. But a lot of the time, the people getting the job done or worst case scenario, sales, 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 sales. <laughs> response (laughs) and so i love networking with salespeople. even if you don't have anything to sell to sales
1: like even if you're not selling to the sales organization
0: the thing about people that are in the same profession is they love to complain about the same profession (laughs) (laughs) seriously
1: Uh, it's true
0: if you brew beer it's really easy to complain about how bad everybody other one's beer is if you wanted to or how great it is because you have a shared interest this is why breaking in from that standpoint can be so easy. And then you have to map that conversational flow. Where would you like to go?
1: Right. So can I just uh, add on like our specific pyramid for LinkedIn here? Mm -hmm. So this is sort of an extension of finding these easiest routes into the account because, you know, we are talking about social as a channel or LinkedIn as a channel. So what I do is I pull up the account and save all of the profiles who are in the earthquake, who I've mapped out as many as possible. Sometimes, you know, it's rare, but usually, sometimes there's some people who aren't, don't have a LinkedIn profile. But everybody who has one, I save them to a lead list inside Sales Navigator. And then I pull up their individual profiles and I see if they are a creator an engager or a lurker. So a creator is somebody like us who's creating original content on LinkedIn. And some of you here in our comments today and original content means they're writing something themselves. They're posting content themselves, right? Engagers are people who comment, who like, who reshare posts. So this is very common that you'll see somebody reshare uh things that that is this engager tier they're not a creator tier but if they like stuff comment stuff whatever else and then lastly lurkers these are people who don't have any activity on their profile or it's from like a long time ago like a year ago plus where they reshared something but but they don't like they don't comment they don't post or anything 90 percent of your profiles will be lurkers that's the average. So it is an amazing amazing day when you have a creator in that lead list. And it's rare, right? It's very rare to have a creator because those are usually only 1% of all profiles. So if you think about that across different accounts, it's just it's gold mine when you find one. But then you're going to usually have a few engagers, right? So tier 1 are creators, tier 2 are engagers, tier 3 are lurkers. And what this allows you to do is it allows you to spotlight, as what Nick was saying, what the easiest route is to get to this person. Because chances are, if somebody's an engager, you can see who they're engaging with or what kinds of content they're engaging on. And then you show up in the same place as they show up. If they're a creator, obviously they want people in their comments. So like that's the easiest one. Just go comment on stuff and start engaging in their conversations. But the lurkers is where the the art and the fun comes in on social and figuring out other channels to what Nick was talking about. It doesn't have to just be on LinkedIn to reach a lurker. There's some other stuff we'll talk about in a second to reach them. But just because somebody has a profile on LinkedIn, especially in an account-based motion, doesn't mean you should connect them and then pitch them.
0: I'm going to kind of hit pause. I'm going to do a little rewind quick because we went through a lot. If you know somebody that would really value this information that's working on it right now, trying to set up a sales process, whatever, tag them, throw them in the comments and that way they know. And they also get timestamps of what to go and listen to. Mm -hmm. So what we do is I will actually turn this into an hour or a half an hour time block and I'll do a sprint. None of this are you doing any outreach until this is fully mapped. So you've mapped out the earthquake, you've figured out where they're accessible and who specifically on what channel. You've mapped this. I recommend having a minimum of three. I usually will actually map out five to 10 because that way I don't run out of things to do. Because we've all been trying to cold call someone for however long calling 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 and not getting a hold of them when you have 10 different people then all of a sudden they they're like man this person keeps calling me or this keeps they keep sending me like great content <laughs> they get talking about you so map out the earthquake figure out where to contact them pick those specific people and label what channel next is you're going to write what is the beautiful future that you have together ah oh, the prfaq This is the hardest freaking thing I have ever done. And I so the PR FAQ is a a nicer way of saying what I used to do. Mm. I upgraded this from Nate Nisrael and Brandon Flaherty on how they do it. But originally, all I would do is I'd write a one or two page basically explaining like, what was my goal with this company? But it's really interesting taking the PR FAQ of Amazon is... Their goal was to work backwards to go and launch a product from a customer's eyes.
1: And just to clarify, the acronym is Press Release slash Frequently Asked Questions, PR, FAQ.
0: The reason why I love doing this as a seller, especially going into enterprise and complex premium deals, is because you're dotting the I's and crossing the T's before it ever becomes a problem. Because you're like, so we're in a year or two from now working together. What are you going to transform? what workflows are going to be involved? How is that going to change the way that their customers interact with the company or see value? So you're mapping out all this value, you're mapping out who's, it, who's involved, and then you're really thinking about what is the true cost? So to hit a meaningful target, to hit that beautiful bright future, what is the difference in change management that needs to be required? So how is the workflow going to change? What technology is going to be involved? Are there going to be different people different roles? And you're mapping this all out in your head and getting really clear on what that specific picture looks like and the future that you are building. And that's the PR, that's the press release because you're announcing it to the world. They can even send it out in a memo. Right. But the, the FAQ side is, think of it like an accusation audit. Now we're in the nitty gritty. You're in front of the executive. You're trying to tell them to change and spend money. They are going to have questions for you. They always do. So what are those questions? Price? How sure this is going to work? How fast is it going to work? Think of all these accusations that they're going to go in. A true mobilizer from Challenger is going to challenge you to make sure it's going to do what you say it's going to do. And that you're capable of doing what you say you can do. So, what are those accusations they're gonna come at you with to validate that this is the best investment that they can make with this money? Cause you're taking money from other priorities. So, really, you're saying, why should we prioritize this over the other 17, 20, 50 things that are on the docket? Yes. And this is what makes enterprise deals move forward because this is how executives make decisions, presenting it in house, is they need to know all of these questions and have them all answered to know what resources are required. How much is it gonna cost? When are they gonna see the ROI? How does it line up with other initiatives and projects? And you're taking all that work out to validate if it's true, if it lines up and to see if there's anything missing. And that is all too often what gets missed. The main task of the PR
1: FAQ is, if you're familiar with this term, future pacing. There's really two things that come out of it. One is for you personally, the seller the individual pursuing these contacts. What you get out of the PRFAQ is clarity, a clarity of thought and purpose, right? You are focused on these are the things that I'm going to talk about to these different personas. Here are the questions that they're going to ask. And in our experience, it just makes you a lot more prepared. I think we're all fairly good at winging it. I think it's part of the reasons we're in this profession. But Either if you're not good at winging it or you notice that deals sometimes fall apart in the middle of it, a PRFAQ is a great way to achieve clarity before you start engaging especially high-tier executives. There is a, a piece of this where your contact strategy and your routing into the account can actually help you develop this PR FAQ as well. It's never necessarily a one and done. Uh, you might have a first draft before you go actually reach out to people and, and use LinkedIn or other channels to reach them. But one of my favorite tools and uh, plays is to route bottom up into the enterprise. So you're talking with people on the ground floor, not necessarily somebody who sits in the center of the earthquake, but somebody who is the uh, maybe sellers, or if you're selling in the ops, normal ops people, and you're just having good conversations with them like Nick had mentioned previously. And so you're researching the account, and you're trying to figure out, is this the right time? Are, you know Are the problems here really evident? And then you're gathering all those insight and all that research together into your PR FAQ. So even if you start reaching out to some of the people in the earthquake, you know, not necessarily the executives, but lower down, or you're talking with other people inside the organization on LinkedIn to earn an introduction or referral, a lot of that can help formulate and refine the PR FAQ as well. And again, this is a concept. I think it's a really good exercise for you to actually write a press release and write the frequently asked questions. There's a lot of clarity that comes out of that. And it's also something that you can share with buyers, right? And with prospects, like you can say, look, this is the vision that I'm working towards at the right time. You don't want to lead with that. And that means that through your account research, through routing bottom up into the enterprise, through using your personas, you painted a vision uh, for the prospect about what is possible. And also you find the things that maybe you didn't want to talk about. (laughs) And uh, the questions that buyers and executives are going to have. So those questions that compose the FAQ piece become your content, that becomes your content. And I don't want to transition too hard into the next piece yet, Nick, if you had anything to close out the PR FAQ section with. But
0: basically the PR FAQ is you're just, and like you're, you're getting really clear on what you want to accomplish with the company. It is one of the hardest things I've ever done, but it makes you, it builds so much confidence that you own the room when you go and do discovery because you know what you're looking for. But also it allows you to invite them in because a lot of the time that PRFAQ document is my value hypothesis, which then becomes my business case. Right. So this streamlines a lot of work on the back end. And now when you're transitioning into thinking about lifeline content, this is that one to many. So if I'm out prospecting five different accounts and I've mapped this all out, if I never get to talk to them, what would they need to know to either buy or book a meeting from me? And so the thing to know about LinkedIn, as soon as you connect with someone and you start messaging them in the DMs, it prioritizes your content to top of feet. So they will see this. It's the new nurture sequence. But it is impossible and frustratingly annoying to try to do this while you're trying to build the plane and fly it at the same time. So when you finish your pure FAQ, you'll find snippets that surprise you or things that you want to make sure you get across. So now you're going to create 60 to 90 days worth of content. Yeah,
1: but this is not hard. I mean, if you think about it, 60 to 90 days of content And you really want to be aggressive about it, which is not necessarily something that we recommend to sellers, is to post every day. You don't have to post every day. You can post a few times a week. But let's say you post every day. So that's, you know, 60, 90 days is three months. So five days a week over three months is like, what, uh, five? Man, am I bad at math this morning. (laughs) It's like 60-ish posts, something like that. But so, I wouldn't
0: recommend using all sixty. For I would only do twenty to forty percent being account specific.
1: Right. Well, and that's the other thing. Like you, again, you don't even have to post every day. So at the top end, you're creating sixty posts, but you're probably actually really only posting twenty to thirty times, or thirty to forty times, and a good chunk of that will be you know FAQ focused, but the rest of it can be other pieces of content. So. What Nick is pointing to is that you, you take the FAQs, you take the questions that you expect executives to ask you and the questions that buyers are already asking you. And you are turning that into content and you can take one, you can take one question, excuse me, and turn it into a few different pieces of content. You don't have to, and actually I would recommend you not only spending one piece of content per question this is where everybody runs out they you know four weeks into it
0: but this aligns with emails a lot of time Mm -hmm. when we get taught to write email sequences is or making a website is what are the two to three main problems we solve Mm -hmm. and then we got to remember people learn differently so if you find those two or three and you think of like auditory kinetic visual learners we can actually create at least three different posts for them and then that way You take that three by three, that's only nine to 10 posts that you create. And you're, for those 60 days, that's powerful. And if you just keep refining it, use it in your comments. Like that's the thing about this PR FAQ and doing this is you can repurpose this in so many different ways. And when you go to executive level conversations, you can use that because you validated it with someone one-to-one in comments or DMs.
1: And this is where ABM can be very useful as well or if you have an aligned sales and marketing team and you have you know marketing resources at your disposal that can accelerate this content creation process really well because for example if you need to create a video now it's not just you creating the video right you're able to use marketing resources at your disposal which is why this alignment is really important but even if you're just an individual seller it doesn't have to be super top tier you know highly produced stuff. In fact, anymore, it's okay if it looks kind of like this, where we're just using a microphone and on our headphones and, and a, a high quality and uh, and it communicates something of value. Content does not need to be in an account-based motion or using LinkedIn for account-based sales. Content doesn't have to be anything besides educating and nurturing your prospects.
0: And one thing that I think I wish more sellers knew, especially if you work at a larger company that's been around for a while, Your website is a gold mine of information, usually written by a marketer that nobody wants to read. But if you rewrite it in a way that's conversational, then it's very usable. And so look at your case studies, go look at the different thought pieces that were put on there, Uh, look at the downloads, and look at what about it surprises you about that workflow. And then take that and you can apply it anywhere. And also, And this is kind of the hardest piece. Can you get marketing on board? Right. Because if you're running this type of campaign, I would also double check and I've made this mistake is to go and see if marketing is already running an ABM campaign, especially if they're a top, like a top tier tier one account that the juice is worth the squeeze. Mm -hmm. Just go and confirm that they're already not spending money and applying resources to get in front of that person. And then you can tag along and reuse that in your sales campaign in your account based process because this is also really nice is when you're showing them they're using the content that they're creating, they don't need to know that you're rewriting it. that's besides the point. But uh, you can also give them feedback on what resonated, what actually helped the sales process and now we get sales and marketing alignment. Mm-hmm. And this is when big things happen where as sellers, And we were talking with a few people yesterday about this. What happens is when it's a beautiful thing, when you call, email, send them a message, they already know who you are and want to talk to you because they have questions.
1: And this is why we call it creating your lifeline. Because at the end of the day, your outbound can only get you so far, right? Any outbound you send will only get you so, sometimes it gets you all the way. But it doesn't get you all the way every single time. If that was the case, none of you would be here and we'd all be very wealthy. Like that. Like that's, it's, it's, like that's if outbound worked 100% of the time, we'd be, all be fine. So outbound can only get you so far. And oftentimes the problem with outbound isn't just the messaging, it's also the timing, and it's also the delivery, and it's also the channel. Back to the early stuff, mapping out the earthquake, creating your contact strategy, choosing your channels. How can you earn a referral? Those things only get you so far. So the reason we call it the lifeline is, and thinking about content as a lifeline, is that it is the indirect way you're nurturing and educating your prospects. It's so that 60 to 90 days down the road, because we're talking big deals here. So they weren't going to close in 90 days anyways. We all know that. But 60 to 90 days down the road, they're like, oh, Nick, yeah, you've been putting out some great stuff. Or, oh, I know Nick. That's a lifeline. Because you're like, oh, (laughs) you walk into, we've had this moment a few times, Nick, you're like, oh, you know what we put out? That's kind of cool. Sweet. And that's like a lifeline. Because now there's additional credibility there in the sale. You've already done a lot of the work that you would normally do on just cold outreach. This is why working something account-based also means reaching each one of those individuals inside the earthquake allows you to nurture them. And, and I want to tie one thing in really quick, Nick. i previously mentioned creators, engagers, lurkers as these three tiers of profiles. So tier three lurkers are 90% of your profile or profiles on LinkedIn. This is where content comes in. So most of the time, what you can do is you can dial in your profile. That's a whole other show. We've done a lot of that and send blank connection requests to the person. And Nurture that lurker through your content on LinkedIn. Now, there is a lot of nuance here, right? Do you ever engage them in the DMs? Sometimes that's more like uh, for some of the profiles that you are that are engagers, or profiles that you are confident are part of the earthquake, or profiles. You know, there is some direct stuff, and we can talk about that if necessary. But the the idea is that you are nurturing the lurkers because the, the lurkers are going to log in. They're going to scroll the feed. So you want your name attached
0: to value. And depending on the lurker, a lot of them are only looking at their colleagues. Yes. Because they're at that kind of junior stage of they don't have the time and they haven't put the investment in to build out those networks around themselves. So a lot of the time it's just peer to peer. So when you figure out who their peers are and you take this approach, this is why you can focus on less than 10% of the people on LinkedIn and get the full hundred. If you take this type of approach. Now, moving into the last stage of just let's hit go and we can go and we'll go and talk and we'll get into some of the details. But if you have questions, Mm -hmm. we have 15 minutes left. Please jump in the comments here, write all your questions. We're going to get into them right away. The one thing I want to go and say is with this process, what is the goal? Prospecting ends with a champion, but starts with an insight. That is this whole process wrapped up into one sentence. Say it again. Say it again. Say it again. Say it again. (laughs) Prospecting ends with a champion, but it starts with an insight. If there is no insight to draw from, this is why most sales prospecting is seen as spam because there's no point. Mm Mm-hmm. And the thing, too, is the whole goal of this is to find that champion that's going to support you, whether it's through inbound that you go outbound, outbound that comes inbound, whatever hybrid motion, whatever, however it comes is you want a champion that sees the world, that sees that future the same way you do so that they'll go to bat and you can go and enable them to take it home. Like Nate Nisraelis says, Yeah. because buyers now make 82% of this process is done without us. That 18% is all we can influence. And most of those meetings we're not even invited to. Mm -hmm. So doing all of this and doing this hard work and finding that champion and then enabling them is what makes this happen. But if you run this process, it really sets you up. It doesn't matter if you're an SDR or an AE. Preferably you're both. You have an AE that's supporting you building this and you divide and conquer the earthquake to get in front of the right people and then build the business case as you go. But just remember. Yeah. Yeah. When you map this out, it does work fast. It's very rare that I don't book my meeting in less than 60 days. And usually they actually ask me for a meeting because of all this work we've done. They show there's a lot of information there. Yep.
1: anne had asked, what are some of the LinkedIn in-mail ideas that you recommend? So I wouldn't is my honest recommendation on an account-based motion. So again, if you if you come back to... The three tiers, the creators, engagers, and lurkers, you shouldn't send an email to the creators that's dumb. they're active on the platform.
0: not a right away as a last resort, maybe towards the, like a throwing a hail, Mary to go like oh my god i'm I'm going to lose this deal, it's been six months, and nothing's happening, sure,
1: maybe. I don't know, but like, it, not for a creator, Nick. Like, they're they're creating content, they're posting content. I should be able to, if I can't warm them up in the comments, an email is not going to get that across the finish line.
0: I mean, just an account in general. Like, a, if that account in general, it's six months, yeah.
1: Oh, no, I was going to get to that. But for creators, no. If they're engagers, you should be able to engage on common stuff. So... Maybe they only like and comment stuff from their alma mater or some sports team. Strike up a conversation over that. Send them a DM. Say, look, I see you like a lot of this stuff, right? And lastly, for lurkers, like I'm almost tempted to send emails instead of in-mails because in-mails have such a higher perception of spam. But I mean, today, Emery, and I saw your other comment, we really are only focusing on account base for today. Um, But shoot me a DM. I might have some ideas uh, for more general prospecting stuff.
0: I will say it once right now, when you start taking this proactive approach to prospecting, it changes the entire game. Mm-hmm. The mentality that we need to go direct every time. And that's what we need to lead with is outdated. And it's the reason why your buyers don't want to talk to you. They don't want to see you on their coming up on the phone, whatever it's because they assume you're just trying to sell them. Mm-hmm. If you don't have any signs of pain, If there is no specific reason to reach out, like there's no, you haven't set up triggers. There's no intent. There's nothing that says now is the time. Yeah. You shouldn't be calling them at all. You're only doing that for yourself and the company. You're not doing it for them. And the thing is, when we switch this around and we prioritize our lists so that we're using triggers, that is how we can open doors. You can just start conversations in other places that people are more open to. But if we always default to what's easiest or what's trackable or what you know counts as an activity, this is what sells us short and it's what gives us a bad reputation. So if I can challenge you that direct in those methods isn't always the answer. Agreed.
1: Absolutely. The last thing I wanted to talk about in the interim, Nick, was setting this up sort of architecturally in Sales Navigator. So I sort of hinted at this previously. I want to offer this. I don't like lead lists. I think they're not that useful. And a lot of the data that LinkedIn sends is kind of weird. I prefer lead searches because you can set up sort of like basic intent triggers with lead searches to find new leads inside accounts. But that's better for more like campaign-based sales anyways. So for account-based sales, love lead lists. So what, what I do, and to clarify some of the structure on this, is you create a lead list for everybody inside an account that you want to talk to, not necessarily just the people inside the earthquake. And we didn't clarify this previously, because you might have other people, like I said, you might research the account, and you might find creators and engagers at the account that aren't necessarily a a part of the earthquake. And you want them on your lead list, because you know that if you engage with them correctly, they will be able to introduce you to elsewhere inside the account. So you create a lead list with everybody inside your account and then you use Sales Navigator's updates, alerts, to notify you of intent. This person viewed your profile. This person you know, updated news. And then you can use that as a part of your contact strategy. So I just wanted to clarify that. I just have the lead list named as the account and save all those people inside this. But Adam has a great question.
0: Yeah. And what Morgan said, it works so well Mm because then as different people are looking, even though they weren't on your earthquake, LinkedIn lets you know that they looked at your profile so you can add them in. And so this is how you can have a compounding effect instead of always like really pushing yourself to hunt and really work. And you want to save that account
1: inside some account list because... Um, you will also get alerts about unsaved leads at the account viewing your profile, which is another way to sort of assess how much impact you've been having inside the account-based motion. Anyways, Adam asked a really good question. For 60 to 90 days of content, can you give me an idea of that schedule? How many posts per week, comments, and how do I prepare my PR FAQs, have them readily available for content? Great question, big question. So Again, you can. I would recommend it's sort of the the if you think of a maximum level is posting daily. So over sixty to ninety days, posting every weekday is sort of the the top tier. So however many, I think that turns into like sixty posts total. But to your point about question of comments, it's honestly in my view, especially if you have the creators and engagers inside the account that you're trying to prospect into, it's almost better to spend time posting content only a few times a week, maybe two to three times per week, and then commenting on the other days or all days and actually spending your time engaging with those tier one, tier two leads inside the account.
0: Huge impact switching to that methodology. Two to three is a lot of content. That's the sweet spot I like as well. Yeah. But commenting, especially when you've built your lead list, so you can just go in. So what I do is I time block. So in the morning, I post my content. And I go and dive into my influencers to add credibility. But you could also dive right into your lead list. So, all you do is you open sales nav, look down, it says sort by account filters or lead filters. Click lead filters. And now all of the posts that you're seeing are just from that lead list. So, then all you do is you set a timer, do a Pomodoro or 30 minutes. And just for 30 minutes, you do as many comments as you can but since you wrote this PRFAQ, since you're, you know, keep doing this process and you're you're considering those workflows, it's really easy to dive into that content. But remember, you're sitting at a coffee shop, you're at a networking event. Vampire sales rule, do not pitch unless you are invited to. Make sure that you're just having conversations. You're not trying to one-up them in the comments. All you're trying to do is start a really good conversation that's dynamic that they can go and take from there.
1: And to answer the latter half of your question, Adam, how do I prepare my PR FAQs and have them readily available for content? So obviously the press release portion of of it is work. (laughs) It's a lot of work. And that is not really where your content's going to come from that's very focused on the account and the future state of the account. It will inform your messaging because it's going to talk about the future state that you're bringing them into. The content comes from the FAQ piece. And so the frequently asked questions come from a few places. One is common questions that you or sales executives get in trying to navigate deals of this kind that you're selling into the account. What are the common things that people continue to ask in discoveries and demos and so on? Two are questions that you assume those executives are going to ask. Use your imagination. What are things that you think an uh, an executive would ask about this, especially if you don't have a deeper source of knowledge in the industry or into the account you're trying to prospect into? Ask your account executives what those sorts of people are doing or asking, or ask a peer who's also an account executive and say, hey, I'm trying to prospect into this like director of ops. I know you've sold to this before. What are some of the things that they tend to ask? Those are other questions to add to your FAQs.
0: One of the best kept secrets, and I don't know why it's a secret, is go talk to customer success, account managers, the people that are implementing and doing the work. Go sit down with them, have coffee once a week, Ask them who they like to, what types of companies they love to deal with, what specific work that they like to do, where are those customers seeing value the fastest, and what are those specific things like workflows or whatever they're doing that they love, they actually love, and work with them to map out that content. You'll find that there's a lot of patterns. There actually isn't that much variety when you actually boil it all down. So, really talk to the other people in your company. Maybe ask if you could do a weekly meeting just to share content, to go and share those insights. Remember, that's where prospecting starts is insights. Share those insights to see what started that deal that made that uh, prospect champion lean in and start that sales process.
1: Right. And um, last thought is just then you take the questions and then all of those questions together, you answer them in FAQ format, like an actual FAQ you see on the website. And then you take the questions and answers and you repurpose them into posts. So you basically take the same content and then you're rewriting them into something that looks right for LinkedIn or sounds right for LinkedIn. So rarely is it a copy pasta. Um, Usually it's, uh, you know, you're taking the, (laughs) you're taking the base level of content and then you're sort of breaking it apart, rewriting it a little bit, thinking about how this needs to sound for somebody on LinkedIn. And, and last rule for today, one post, one concept. Don't do more than one concept in a post. Chances are your answer to a question has multiple concepts or multiple points to it. Keep it to one point or one concept per post. Don't go beyond that. Keep it consumable in the feed.
0: Okay, guys, top of the hour. I don't know where all this point or all this time went. My goodness gracious. Sometimes it can be hard to find our stuff on LinkedIn. So one of the great things you can do is just jump on YouTube, search B2B Power Hour. And you can find all our content there. It's also nice you can speed it up. You can jump around. If uh, you also like audio formats, this does get repurposed onto our podcast, which you can find Spotify, Apple. It's everywhere. And as you guys know, it's 2022. It is no longer okay to suffer in silence. If you are struggling, if you need help, if management's not giving you the support you need, or there you have you're getting you have more questions than you have answers. Get into our DMs. Shoot us a connection request. Let us know what's going on. You do not have to buy anything. We will point you in the right direction and make sure that you feel comfortable doing the job that we love. Thank you so much, everyone. And I wish you the best of luck. Did you love today's episode? Subscribe now to have our three weekly episodes waiting for you. And if you really like our content,
1: please leave a five-star review. But if you're not ready to give us a review, check out another episode and follow us on LinkedIn. We'd love to win you over. See you next time. See you next
0: time.